following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. So today we're going to dive in to Romans chapter 8, 26 and 27. So last week we talked about the hope that we have in Christ and how exciting it is that that we have hope now in this place on earth, not just something to look forward to in eternity, but that we have a hope now. And this this passage starting in verse 26 is is something that carries on from that. And so I want to start by uh, just reading... Uh, verses 26 and 27, and then I'm going to tie it in and into also verse 24. So starting out, and I'm reading from the ESV, um, verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But if the Spirit himself intercedes for us, for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows What is the mind of the Spirit? Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit pleads for people in God's own way. Now last week we talked a bit about verse 24. And verse 25 is kind of a sidebar that is in the middle between verse 24 and 26. But I want to read 24 and 26 together so that you get the context. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Paraphrased kind of together, those, those verses go in quick succession to read essentially, as hope sustains us in our time of suffering, so also the Spirit sustains us in our time of weakness. Today, as I was going through this passage, I was thinking back to when I was in college and I had to take uh, my theology classes and my biblical study classes, and, uh, and I remember my theology teachers trying really hard to explain the Holy Spirit to me. What analogy, what modern-day analogy can we possibly use to give us an understanding of what the Holy Spirit is? And I remember uh, grossly, uh, really, really this, this analogy grossly underdoes what, what the truth is, but my, my theology teacher used to say, just think of the Holy Spirit as your personal translator that knows your heart. That, that's, that's what you think of. So as I went into this passage, I started thinking, oh, interceding on my behalf. I've got this translator. He's in my heart. He's constantly interceding on my behalf. And I quickly found that that, that misses the mark, that it's so much deeper than that. It's so much more than that. And just like most analogies that we try and use to understand the, the Trinity and Scripture in our hearts, if they're not from the Bible itself... Oftentimes we miss the mark. So today I'd like to take you back to the analogy that we talked about last week and the weeks before, the father idea, and how God is our father. And what does this mean as far as the intercessor goes? Now, starting off, why does God intercede? What is the point in God interceding? Does, does he have some need to intercede in our lives, would we be fulfilled without his intercession? So I went online and I did some research and I figured out um, that there's a couple of ways that you can explain this disconnect, and one of them is with a really good comic. So Kirby, if you if you'd move the comic in here, um, it says think if, think what you want. I totally heard you praying for peace everlasting. See, this is God talking to 
Paul or whoever, whoever prayed for that particular prayer and that particular thing. And he was saying, I want peace everlasting. Now, a lot of times we, we look at God this way and we think, God, I'm going to pray something, but what if I mess up? What if I say the wrong word? What if you mishear me? What if I say peace everlasting instead of peace everlasting? Well, fortunately, we have an intercessor. Another example of this is uh, a story. There was a man who called his neighbor to help him move a couch that had become stuck in his doorway. They pushed and pulled until they were exhausted and the day came to an end, but the couch would not budge. Forget it, the man finally said. We'll never get this in. The neighbor looked at him and said, wait, in? Think about it. It'll get there. Is this how we communicate with God? Sometimes we're, 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 we're up against each other. We're pushing on the same wall from opposite sides and we feel like, God, why isn't this budging? Don't you truly know the desires of my heart? And the answer that God always has is yes, he does know the desires of our heart. So why? Why does God need to intercede? If God is all-knowing, if he created us, if he knows how we were created and he knows the fabric we were created on, why does he need an intercessor? And, and as I was deeping, deeply searching into this, I, I, I learned a couple of things that, that I found to be quite interesting. First off, um, God, is, God has created us and he knows us. And he is our father. But just as a father, there's, there's, just as a father relationship, there has to be communication between the son and the father. The Son and the Father are not the same person. They are separate. And in the Trinity, we see that. We see the separate, the separate entities of Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit and how they are separate but together in different personalities and different characters of God. So the question is, is how do we, the beings that he's created, communicate with a God that is perfect, that can only hear our righteous cries, that is somebody that cannot participate in our sin? How do we communicate with a God that is perfect? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. In John, it goes, uh, it goes over and over again about how, how we need an advocate and how Jesus was telling the disciples, I have to leave. I have to leave. You don't understand. If I don't leave, the advocate will not come. If I don't leave, the advocate will not come. Now, now in this particular culture and context, you have to understand they're, they're coming from the old law, where they're under the law, where they're very much so burdened by the law. And this whole concept of an advocate is really not something they understand. Because for as far as they understand, being a follower of God is something you do by a set of rules, something that God was given. Now, we know that there are several prophets that, that knew differently, and we see this in their lives. We see this in the life uh, of Moses. Uh, we see this in the lives of the major prophets that, that clearly had an honest and true relationship with God that was more than just the sacrifices that they made. But the average believer did not know. The average Jew did not know. So as, as Jesus is telling his disciples, I have to die so that the advocate can come, they're looking at that concept and they have no reference to really truly understand what that advocate really is because for as long as they know, life has always been a set of rules. So what is an advocate? What would an ad- You mean an advocate? Somebody that would, like if I mess up my sacrifice, like somebody that will care about that? And like what if I make a mistake? What if I say the wrong prayer? What if I, what if I don't take the Sabbath properly? What, what, if, I, what if I say the wrong things? It, you're telling me that there's an advocate coming that's going to go to bat for me? And this was, this was something that was very disconnected from their, from their understanding. 
But Jesus makes it very, very clear in John that that's exactly who we're getting. We're getting an advocate, somebody that's coming to our side. The context that, that I have, uh, that I can see this most clearly applied is uh, with the ministry that we do as, as part of this church. I have the opportunity to work with our, our family development team. And they work uh, to do orphan care, trafficking intervention, prevention, things like that. And I look at what they do. And their passion is to take people that cannot help themselves and keep them safe. That's their passion. Their, their role in advocacy is making sure that this child that doesn't always know what they want or doesn't always have to, the option of saying no, they can find themselves in a situation where they are helpless. And as an advocate, we go in and we help to rescue this child. And I, and I do believe that the, this, is an important, this is an important relationship to understand that, that the father, as the advocate... Sorry, the Holy Spirit is the advocate, is coming in and, and he's, he's talking to the Father for us and trying to bring us out of the sin that we currently live our days in. We live sinful people. We are failed, broken, sinful people. So how do we have a relationship with a perfect Father? We have an advocate. We have somebody that's telling God what we're really thinking in our heart of hearts, in our deepest soul. We have somebody that's constantly communicating for us. One, one aspect that, that, that it would be easy to uh, take out of this would be, well, I don't really feel the Holy Spirit in my life. I know I'm a believer. I made him a, decision, a decision. I prayed that prayer, but I don't really feel the Holy Spirit in my life. I just kind of live my life like a normal human being. Well, I'd like to challenge you today on that thought because if, if God has given us the Holy Spirit as our advocate, if he's given us the Holy Spirit as a piece of who he is to help us understand who he is, and that's not active in your life, then there's a problem. What you're telling God is that I want you, but I don't want the relationship. I don't want the advocacy. I don't want the, the interpersonal communication. It's very much so the, the, uh, the, the older brother in the prodigal son story. We want God, but we don't want his stuff. The Holy Spirit is the relationship aspect of what we have with God. The Holy Spirit is the entity that makes that possible. We have in the Holy Spirit an assurance of hope. If we don't, if we don't let the Holy Spirit work in our lives, we're denying hope. God gave us Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit now on this earth to give us a taste of heaven, to give us a taste of eternity. And by denying the Holy Spirit, we are telling God, I don't want that. In which case, why are you here? Why are any of us here if we don't want that relationship? Ultimately, what it comes down to is that the aspirations of eternity are much, much deeper than we can possibly put in words. As a believer, I was taught from a very, very young age um, how to pray. It's, it's something we all go through in Sunday school, right? They kind of teach you the Lord's Prayer, and, and you, you understand that you just talk to God. And, and how many of us have heard our parents or uh, somebody that we admire tell us that well, praying is just talking to God. It's just talking to God. And through this, I believe that it goes much deeper than that. I think that maybe we're, we're doing people a disservice by even telling them that praying is just talking to God. Because talking to God is only communicating to God 
what you can verbalize. If you, if you can put it in words, then you can pray it. Well, the Holy Spirit here is obviously serving a different role in that, and he's talking about these, these moans, these, these groans, these, these, these emotional sounds that are so much more than anything we can put into words. We can't just say what we mean to God. God is searching our heart for true and deep meaning. We must communicate with our Father in a way deeper than is just the words. And I feel like if it, it, the, that's a great place to start. I think we should teach people how to pray. And I think that talking to God is a great way to start understanding the relationship. But if that never matures into something deeper, if that never matures into somebody that's willing to sit and pray and be silent, if that never matures, then the person never matures spiritually. The person is always dependent on the words that they can form in their mouth. And if we, if we, if we settle for that, we're only experiencing just a tiny bit of what God's given us. In fact, I would almost go to say we're, we're not really experiencing a whole lot at all of what God's given us to experience. God is something so much deeper to us. Ultimately, another reason, plain and simple, why do we have an advocate? Because we're weak. We're going to fail. Have any of you failed yet today? <laughs> Quite a few. Just raise those hands real nice and high. We'll point you out. You can receive prayer after the service. No. If, if, if we are going to fail, which we are, God in his love has given us the Holy Spirit in order to deal with that failure. He's given us the Holy Spirit so that we can still have a confident relationship with him. We are weak, and so therefore we need the Spirit to plead on our behalf. It shows Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. We are, we are absolutely incapable of a relationship directly with God the Creator without the intercessor Holy Spirit. Because we have fallen. We are unrighteous. We can't do it. The whole idea of this advocate, somebody that comes to the aid of us, that, that joins us, that is bearing a burden along with us. I think, I, I, I think we misinterpret this because we, don't have, because we don't have a godly father image here on earth. I mean, we do. A lot of us have good fathers, but do, do, none of us have perfect fathers. None of us have that, that fatherly relationship that we can sit down and say, my dad was perfect. He never yelled at me. He never got overly angry. He was always loving. He always acted out of love. He always disciplined out of love. Uh, I, at least I can't say that. And my dad is a very godly man that I, I very much so admire. He's still not perfect. So if my relationship with God is based on my understanding of my relationship with my earthly father, then really, why do I need the Holy Spirit? Because I just talk to my dad. I mean, we have a close relationship, but I can just talk to him. And that's pretty deep. That's, that's deep in humanly terms. But God is so much more perfect and complete than that. And because we can't experience that in a human relationship between each other, we, we misinterpret this whole idea of what the Holy Spirit does. So I challenge you today... To understand that when we pray, our prayers are absolutely conditioned by our weakness. 
our weakness. Our weakness is the, the, the human condition, right? We all live under it. Adam and Eve sinned, and therefore, for the rest of all eternity on this earth, we live under sin. It is what it is. There's, there's no way nobody gets out of that. No baby, you, you don't get to opt out upon birth. Nope, don't really want part of that. You, you're absolutely part of this. If our prayers are conditioned by our weakness, if we can't pray righteously, how do we communicate with the Father? Once again, our advocate and the Holy Spirit. Somebody that knows our deepest heart of hearts. Another interesting thing to, to look at here is, is Paul never asks us to go and pray better. You notice that in this, he just says the Holy Spirit will pray for us. The Holy Spirit will, will communicate for us. Paul never requires us to go and look up, you know, get a thesaurus, find the best words, write down your prayers, wordsmith them. He, he never calls us to do that. He simply calls us to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. We can't eradicate the ignorance of our, of our weakened spirit. We can't do it. We, we, can't, we can't eradicate that. We are fallen people. So what is our only option? What is our only option? Our option is God and the spirit that he gave us to intercede. Now, this is when it gets complex. I think a lot of us can probably say that that's fairly easy to agree with. The next part gets a bit more complex in how does God intercede? And there is theological study after theological study after word study after word study after dissertation talking about the way that God intercedes. And I spent the, the bulk of my week sorting through all these dissertations and word studies and, you know, half this group thinks, oh, well, he's talking about, you know, the speaking of tongues and this group saying, no, that's not the speaking of tongues and, you know, this is guttural, uh, uh, it's groans and if it can't be heard if it's not audible well that's not what he's talking about it has to be audible and all these things that i think are totally missing the point and so i'm going to try and boil it down for you to what i think the real the point is and the point is not whether it's audible or not the point is not whether it's speaking your tongues or not i'll give you my opinion on that but that's not the point ultimately it says words that we cannot express it's a greek word that implies that it's unspoken okay or, or that it's ineffable and that, that includes two different things. Unspoken means we just don't speak it. Ineffable means we can't speak it. Okay? There, there's a difference. So, so if it has to be audible, but we can't speak it, we can't say it, okay, there's, there's a bit of a paradox there. That doesn't work. So there has to be some aspect of this that is not audible. Does this mean tongues? Does this mean the gift of tongues? Now, it, I, I don't believe it does. I believe, just so you know, from the very, very beginning of this, I believe this passage is very much so separate from the gift of tongues. I, I don't believe that, that believers that can speak in tongues have a more righteous Holy Spirit that is communicating with the Father. I do not believe that that is true because this is specific, specifically talking about something that all believers possess. The gift of tongues is very clearly said as some believers possess. So I don't believe that these do cross paths. So uh, it's, it's very common. I've been to some churches. In fact, I had an experience probably, that was probably three or four years ago. Uh, no, it was actually, it was before I got married. I was before I came out here. And I had gone uh, to a church in Colorado. And I went in and sat down for the service. And I was with a bunch of friends. And I remember the pastor to this day. He's standing up there. It's a large church, probably two, 3,000 people. 
And I remember him asking, who's heard from the Lord today? Who's been able to speak to him in tongues? Have you had a good day? Have you spoken to the Lord in tongues? Has has that been part of your day today? If it hasn't, I want you to go right now. And I want you to sit down and I want you to concentrate and let the Spirit into your heart. And I want you to speak to him in tongues and a Holy Spirit. And I remember sitting there going, what? So I'm just going to, what? You want me to leave right now and just sit down and speak in tongues? This is, this is like a decision that I'm going to make. I'm just going to sit down and speak in tongues. And, and so when I read this passage the first time, I imagined him saying, go speak in tongues. Roman says, you know, we groan. Everybody can speak in tongues. No, that's not actually the case. Not everybody can speak in tongues. It's not a gift that everybody has. It is for a select few. This is a gift for everybody. So when, I, when, I'm, when I'm speaking this to you, I don't want you to be putting these together in your brain as one thing. They are not. I'm talking about two separate and totally different things. Now, these groans, what are they? And have you ever stubbed your toe, smashed your finger? Okay, you yell out in pain, no! Okay, hurts. We have this... this uh, this edge on our bed. Our bedroom isn't very, very big, and the, the bed is real close to the door. And I, I think I probably stub my pinky toe on that thing at least once a week. It just, just all the time. My pinky toe is probably permanently deformed because this is such an ongoing thing. And I scream out every single time because it hurts. And so when I read this, I think, oh, that's a groan. I'm communicating something. And then I realize how amazingly humanly that communication is and how it's not even righteous enough to communicate with God. Because it's coming from me. It's my communication. It's my vocal input. Now, don't get me wrong here. I do believe that your vocal input in prayer is worth something. I'm not saying that if you pray out loud, it doesn't do anything for prayer, because I believe it does. It's very, very clear in Scripture that we are commanded to pray. Here's how you pray. Pray. Do it. That's, That's the command. We need to be obedient to that. So I'm not saying that anything audible does not affect your prayer. But what I am saying is that when you do make audible prayers, when you do make audible groans, those things still have to be taken through the filter of the Holy Spirit and truth before they can be received by the Father. And I think that that's an important distinction because you know what that does? That give us, gives us just an amazing amount of freedom. Right? If, if, if I was worried about offending God every time I stubbed my toe, okay, it would change my life a lot. If I was worried that my salvation teetered on the scale that said, oh, that prayer wasn't very good. You, well, I'd have used a different word. Are you really sure? I, I imagine sometimes God saying, uh, sitting up there going, you, really, you sure you meant that word? Are you, you really sure that that's the word that you wanted to use? And, and, and you imagine the scale that's kind of tipping back and forth. And I, I, I can pray, and then I try and have a really, really good prayer, and that tips the scale back the other direction a little bit. And then I stumble over my words the next time, and all oh, the scale tips. Oh, and then I remember a verse. I remember to include scripture on this prayer. So then it, it, it tips back that way a little bit further. And it's this constant tipping thing. And we feel like we're, we're earning God's ear. And I, and I do believe that we should be passionate about what we pray and that we should not waste our words. But doesn't it give us great freedom that the Holy Spirit is in there? translating, constantly putting the things of our heart in prayer for God to hear. That we can say these things, that we don't have to wordsmith our prayers. How many of you have been in a Bible study or in a prayer, a prayer group where there was always, there's always that one person, right? And their prayer is like 35 minutes long. 
and they go on and on and on and they get out their 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 bible and halfway through they run out of verses so they have to go get another translation and then they include that in their prayer oh and then you you would remember to tell them about something you're struggling about so let's go ahead and share that with the group and pray for it because that's you know we want to share your problems with the group and you know he just goes and goes and goes and 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 you get this impression that this person is just trying to earn favor. Either that or they love the spotlight. One of the two. It's either pride or favor. One of the two. And, and it just gives you that feeling of unholiness in your heart. And, and I've been that guy. How many of you can say that you've been that person trying to, trying to impress somebody with a prayer? I can honestly say I've done that. I've been in a place where I'm going to impress this group of people. I get to pray. I have the spotlight now. I'm going to impress them with my prayer. And this was very, very humbling for me to read when it comes down to the fact that it really doesn't matter. That God's translating what's in my heart. And that right now there's a ton of pride in there. <laughs> and right now that's something that the Holy Spirit is dealing with. And, and, and prayer for me is becoming more and more something you do in silence. Something you do just meditating. Now, one practical thing of prayer is I do, it does help me to say things when I pray because it keeps me focused. That's, I, I think that's valuable. But the, the more I mature, which is not much, in, in my prayer life, I do realize the quieter my prayers are becoming, the less wordy, the simpler. Sometimes nothing at all. And I know this is something that, that Tim, the pastor here, is has, has, has very, very passionate about. I have the chance to pray with him several times throughout the week regularly. And, and I remember when I first came to work with this church and, you know, married into the family business. And I'm trying to impress my father-in-law. And it was probably the first six months. And uh, I remember we're praying. And I'll tell you what, it was the most boring prayer time I think I've ever been part of in my entire life. Because my heart was, A, not in the right place. And Tim doesn't talk a lot when he prays. So I was just sitting there, and I bet you we sat for 45 minutes while he prayed in his heart, and, and I just was awkward. And we got to the end of the prayer, and I remember Tim looking at me going, wow, that was, that was just great silence and time to meditate. And I'm thinking, that's what you got out of this? Silence? Time to meditate? Prayer? That wasn't prayer. You didn't say a thing. But now I'm realizing that there's something to that. There's something to silence. There's something to quiet. Another, another aspect that I think that is important to recognize in this, that the groans that, uh, that are being talked about in this part of the scripture are a little bit different than in the previous scripture when they talk about creation and man groaning. And then there's another, uh, another category, that creation groans, man groans, and then the Holy Spirit groans. And there's a difference. And the difference is, and I think this is super, super important, is that the groans that the Holy Spirit does are not ours. That's not our groan. The scripture makes it very, very clear that creation groans, believers groan, and the Spirit groans. And they're in two separate contexts. And so uh, there's another, another vein of theology out there that says that when I groan, when I speak in tongues, when I engage God... That that's the Holy Spirit speaking audibly my words, speaking something that I'm physically saying. And in this particular context, now it's different for the gift of tongues. I'm not gonna not gonna go down that path. In this particular context, the audibility of this means nothing. 
because it's the Holy Spirit communicating directly with the Father. And it means nothing as to whether I'm saying something or thinking or meditating or whether there's actually noise in the room or not. Because if, if the noise was important and you happen to be in the Grand Canyon or at a construction site or someplace where nobody could hear what you were saying, is, the, is, is your prayer less valuable in a place like that if you're in the middle of the forest and nobody can hear it? The, the, the audibility of it means nothing because in this particular case, it's the Holy Spirit who's communicating for you. So we don't even do it. It's not even us. It's not about us. It's not about our, our noises. It's about the Holy Spirit saying, I'm going to groan for you. I'm going to talk for you. I'm going to talk when you don't know what to say. I'm going to say something when there's nothing in there for you to, to, to even say, when you don't even know what you want. How many of you have been in that situation? When you're just sitting there and you know you want something, but you have no idea what it is. No idea. You just want something. A lot of people would, would say that that's, that's the Holy Spirit in you saying that you want God. And you can't put words to it because it's so much bigger than words. And so the Holy Spirit is translating that in your heart and welling up and constantly communicating with the Heavenly Father. And you're sitting there frustrated because you can't put it into words and you can't explain it to your spouse and you can't explain it to your best friend and you can't explain it to the people you work with and you can't explain it to your ministry partners and you're frustrated. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit knows that and the Holy Spirit is in there and the Holy Spirit is still in communication with the Father. And oftentimes we get frustrated because we can't tell other humans what we want or what we desire. But it's important to realize that that's not actually what's important. The importance is, can we tell the Father? Can we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, to communicate with the Father? The, the, the word that's used there is an incredibly deep, deep, deep word. And, and there's just, there's only so many analogies for this type of groaning that, that one can possibly come up with. But I guess the, the closest thing that I can come up with is I imagine a woman who was outside with her child playing and they were in the front yard and she looks away for a moment and the child kicks a soccer ball and it goes out into the street and the child runs out into the street and smack gets hit by a car and the mom just... Ah! Just this, this emotional, compact, wordless... Ah! And then deeper than that. The Holy Spirit's deeper than that. The Holy Spirit is, is even more in tune with that. And you know, what's interesting is, is uh, you know, another pitfall that we fall into all the time is, is we... How many of you like to do this? You love to tag onto the end of your prayer... And this is not necessarily a bad thing, but how many of you tag on to the end of the prayer if, if it is your will, if you'd like this to be done, if, if this is something that, that is important to you? Now, that, that's not a bad thing. But here, you know what's really, really interesting is that um, it actually says that we should know. The, the verse, if you read it, says... Um, 
The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. As we ought. As we should. We should know what to pray. That's interesting. (laughs) If I didn't feel incapacitated enough as it is, now I feel even worse, because I should know what to pray, and now I have no idea. So I finally get myself to the point where I'm okay not knowing what to pray, but then I look at Scripture and I read and I think, well, wait a second. What? Why? Why does it clearly say there that I should know what to pray? Why does it clearly say that I should seek the will of God when I clearly can't know the will of God? Why, why am I seeking the will of God when the Holy Spirit is really the only one that can, can make that connection? And for me, that's very, very frustrating because it's kind of this pendulum. And you realize that, wait a second, maybe this isn't a pendulum. Maybe that this has always been the standard. Maybe the standard of righteousness is that we know the will of God. Maybe that is the standard we should put out in front of us, that we are constantly seeking the will of God and that we should know what to pray. But we're going to fail. But we're not going to know. Just like God wants us to really live perfectly in relationship with him. That's the standard. But we're going to fail. We're not going to be able to do it. God is working in our lives now, even in our failures. Not just in spite of our failures, through our failures, because of our failures. The Holy Spirit working in our life is a demonstration of God working in our lives now. We cannot deny that. If we question, if we deny the effect of the Holy Spirit in our lives, if we deny the theology that's bound up in the Holy Spirit in his his relationship with our hearts and his relationship with knowing the will of God, if we deny that, then we deny God's very proof that he exists in our lives on this earth now. We deny that because he gave that to us as proof. The fact that the Holy Spirit works in your life and you can pray and then you can engage God, that's God's proof. That's God's proof saying, I am there now. I am working in your life now. I am part of your family now. I'm part of your prayers now. The communication that the Holy Spirit enjoys with me now, that's something that you will get to experience firsthand in eternity. But right now, I'm still working. This is my f- the first installment on my salvation plan. You've been saved, and I can't take you to heaven yet, but this is the first installment. I've given you the Holy Spirit, so payment number one is, is done. Now experience that. If we go back to verse 23 and we look... And we see that creation longs, that that intense emotional word once again, desires. As Tim explained it, you know, we're walking by and the trees are going, look at that believer. Yay, yay, he's he's a believer. That's so exciting. He's going to experience God today. That's so exciting. If creation is doing that, how much more for we as intelligent believers with the Holy Spirit in our soul, should we be excited about what God's doing in our life? I was talking with Lana about this, this scripture this last week, and she said, I, and I forget the, the reference of the book, if uh, I could ask her if you're interested in it. Um, but she said the way that, that that author described it, you know, in the Old Testament, you know, the, the disciples got to lo- live right alongside Jesus and work right alongside Jesus and, and fish right alongside Jesus and see people healed right alongside Jesus. And constantly they were engaged with him. And we as believers now look back, and we would just love to write them a letter, right, that says, what? Was it like to live and work with Jesus? 
What was it like to fish with him? What was it like to hear his stories? What was he like as a person? What was it like to engage with him? Well, what's interesting is that if we could take somebody from that time frame and fast forward them to now, how awesome would it be if they could ask us, what's it like to have the Holy Spirit in your life? You know, with Jesus, they were, they were communicating with him. They were talking. It was verbal, and Jesus was all-knowing because he's part of God, so he knew their hearts, but, but it was a human relationship with him. How many of those disciples would have loved to have the Holy Spirit living in their hearts when Jesus was on earth? And they were longing for a deeper, closer relationship with Jesus Christ that they couldn't have because it was humanly at that time. Then Jesus died, we got the Holy Spirit, and now we have Jesus living in our hearts. As a disciple back then, I don't know. I, I don't, which one would you like? Would you like to work alongside Jesus or have Jesus as an active part in your life, in your heart? Wh- which one would you prefer? It, it's, I suppose it's probably apples and oranges here. It's, it's not... That's not an easy decision, but, but for us to look back and long for that and wish that we had a human relationship with Jesus Christ is for us to negate the fact that we currently have Jesus living in our hearts and we don't understand that, which is why we long for something more. We don't understand that. We don't get it. We probably never will get it. We'll strive for it, but we'll probably never get it. Now... <clears throat> When, when I came through this, I'll be honest with you, about Thursday while I was studying the scripture, I finally came to the point of going, wait, so if this is the case, if the Holy Spirit is really truly all-knowing and all-communicative and constantly in communication with, the, with God, and that really my words are, are useful as the fatherly relationship and engaging him and being in relationship with him are useful, but not necessarily direct communication with the Father, and I have to have the Holy Spirit, and he's going to communicate that anyway, what's the point in me praying? What is the point in me actually praying if the Holy Spirit is right now in my heart communicating with the Holy Spirit? Or, sorry, in the, communicating with God. What, what is the point? Should we even pray? Yes, as I said earlier, we're called to pray. Ephesians, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, take your pick. In all of them, it's very clearly defined that we should absolutely be praying. We are called to do that. Prayer is an obedience to that. Prayer is an engagement with the Heavenly Father. Prayers are active going to Him and saying, I know the Holy Spirit's doing crazy, cool, wonderful stuff in my heart that I don't understand, but I'm going to choose to talk to you because that's what I can do as a human. That's what I can do as a person. That's important, and we should pray. We can talk. We can communicate using words. We can communicate using noises. We can communicate using songs and worship and and whatever we're going to use here on this earth. We can do that and we should because we're engaging God intentionally in order to be in relationship with him. But we have freedom and the Holy Spirit is truly intervening Interceding on our behalf, knowing the will of God. Now, now back when back when we said we should know the will of God, but we don't know the will of God, we we we're in a great place because the Holy Spirit does know the will of God. So we can. So we might as well pray. Why not pray? Why not engage Him? Why not say words? Why not do worship? Why not be in relationships and in small groups and in families and and with with kids and and just constantly be explaining to people and communicating verbally to God the relationship that we have because it's exciting. That doesn't negate the fact that the Holy Spirit is in our hearts. 
It doesn't make it unimportant. Prayer is about a relationship. The act of praying is about a relationship. Well, okay, if, if we can't really truly know God's will, what's the value in seeking it? Same thing. Relationship. And we're called. Obedience. Obedience so often just defines things in our lives that we don't even know we need. But God says, be obedient. Find my will. Pray. Do it like this. You don't have to understand why, but just do it. And I promise it'll be a benefit to you. That, that oftentimes obedience is kind of our, our step over misunderstanding. And then in my experience, if you're obedient and you do the things, even if you don't understand them, later on as you're engaging in them, you finally realize, oh, that's why. We run into this uh, all the time in, in our families. How many of you have kids that you've been through this with? Where you just tell them, do it this way. It, save yourself a lot of trouble. Just do it this way. I don't want to do it that way. That doesn't seem like the best way. Why would I do it that way? You don't know anything. You're old. You can't even text message. Why would I listen to you? He said, okay. Do it, your, do it your own way. Do it your own way. And they go and do it their own way. And then what happens? They fail. And you just think, you want to say, I told you so. You know, you want to sit down and have tea or coffee and say, I told you so. You should have done this. Why didn't you listen to me? We should be seeking the will of God because it's valuable knowledge that helps us understand more about who he is. In the same way, we should be seeking the knowledge of our parents and our friends and family because it's valuable knowledge about who that person is. When I, when I relate with my dad... I'm often asking him for advice. What do I do about this? What do I do about that? Our relationship is not just determined on the content, but the actual physically me asking him, what should I do? What do you think? It, it, it values the knowledge that he has. It, it shows my obedience to engage him and ask him, why, how, what? And that, that values him. That gives him that gives him honor, and in our relationship with Jesus Christ, with the, with God the Father, it does the same thing. When we when we engage Him, when we pursue His will, when we pray, it values Him. It gives Him honor. It shows Him that we are in need of Him. The standard is that we should know God's will. That's the standard, but we'll never obtain it. Because we're failures, and that's just the way it is. But we have the Holy Spirit, and that's exciting. So I don't want you to leave here depressed. I want you to leave here excited. One of the things that, that I think I'd like to take away from this is that this should be a great deal of confidence and hope in our lives. That God is dealing with our sufferings and our failures even now as we speak through the Holy Spirit who's in our heart communicating with him. We are failures. We're going to be failures in ministries. We're going to be failures in our families. We're going to be failures in the way we treat our kids, in the way we treat our spouses. We're going to be failures because we're sinful people. That's just the lot we've been given. But that doesn't mean that we have to suffer under that. Hope is a valuable word. Hope is something that we should absolutely pursue. And hope is what we find 
in the confidence of knowing that the Holy Spirit is our advocate living in us. That's the whole point in the scripture. To give us hope. Because honestly, this life really isn't worth living without hope. It's not that exciting. It's not that interesting. Okay, I'm an administrator. I sit at a desk. I make spreadsheets. I write annoying emails. That's what I do. It's not that exciting. But I have hope. I have hope, not just in my own personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but in the fact that it gives my work value. It gives my family and my relationships value. I have hope that that spreadsheet is going to eventually someday save some kid off the street. Seems ridiculous, but that's my hope. I have hope in my life. I have hope in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I have hope in my ministry. I have hope in my family. You can ask my wife. I'm not all that great of a husband. Just I'm, I'm still young. She'll tell you all about it. But I have hope in that. And hopefully she has hope because I have hope. It's a whole hope cycle. We have hope in each other's relationships because we have the Holy Spirit in us that's dealing with our failures. To go back to tie it back to the previous week, if we are truly living in intense anticipation of Jesus' return, we should be taking great joy in the Holy Spirit he's placed in our lives. Because it's proof that God loves us and he's here and he's active. We have an advocate that loves us with fatherly love and wants a relationship with us knowing that we will fail and have failed. He has given us the Holy Spirit to intercede on our behalf, uttering and according with God's will the things of our heart. Those scriptures that annoy us because we don't know how to do them, those ones that say, like, pray ceasingly, never stop, driving down the road, shut your eyes, fold your hands, go off into the ravine because you should never stop praying, those, those that bother us, this is how it's possible. This is the way that God has made it possible for us to constantly be in communion with him. This is how it's possible. Our failures don't hinder that that Holy Spirit is still in there working through our lives because those failures are the things that we're interpreting and saying and those actions that we're doing. They're not the true desires of our heart. Once you become a believer and you are renewed, you're given a new heart, you're given a new spirit, you're given a new, a new hope, a new faith. And so you can be confident. It's pretty exciting. What a loving God that we serve, that he wouldn't let us just sit on this earth and fail miserably without a way out. We serve a loving God. We serve a big God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would somehow organize these thoughts in our minds and, um, Lord, give us the, just the understanding to know Lord, to feel the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Lord, just how much, how much more um, exciting it is when we can physically feel the Holy Spirit in communication with you. Lord, thank you for the hope, the truth. Lord, that, that we can fail and the Holy Spirit is there advocating. When we've lied, he's there advocating. He knows our hearts. He knows the heart of our hearts.
Lord, I pray that you would make these things, things that are more than just things we talk about, more than just theology, more than just books, more than just just commentaries, Lord, but that these would be things that go into our life that give us confidence in the way that we live and that we, we embrace people with love that you have given us. Lord, I pray that, that as we go from here, that we as a body, as a congregation, would go with confidence knowing that you are bigger than our failures and have placed the Holy Spirit in our lives to communicate with the Father. Lord, that our relationship with you is the most important thing to you and that you've given us this, this relationship in our hearts that, that even we don't understand. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, bless the rest of the time that we have today. Lord, bless the rest of the worship. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thank you.